This talk was given by Michael Yukon Grody at the Zen Center of New York City. Yukon is a senior monastic in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Um, you know, it's funny. I was, I was looking at this talk, and then I was reminded of that. Was that teacher that used to give talks with one finger? What was his name? Huh? Gotai. Gotai. Yeah, and he, you know, people would ask him, you know, what is Zen? What is this practice? And he'd go, one thing. What is, what is going on here? What is, one thing. I was going, God, man, that was what a nice lineage. <laughs> it would have been a lot easier than having to write these talks. <clears throat> Just one thing. <laughs> but that's not what we do here. <laughs> or I would get killed if I did do that. <laughs> so, um, uh, it's nice we're, we're beginning our ongo, uh, which is our, our 90 day training intensive, which is very exciting. And, uh, that's always a great way of gathering in the sangha's energy. And, uh, and you know, it has a way of working with the seasons so that in the, um, you know, in the spring, there's a, a there's, there's an energy that's, that's pulled in. And, uh, we sit a little bit longer. We get up earlier. You know, our, our sessions are, we start at 4.30 in the morning and, and we go through the day. And there's an intensity that's wonderful, but you can't really keep that up. So then it, it, it goes from the spring into the summer when things are just a bit light, lighter. You know, it's hot out and things are easier. So the schedule retreats a bit. And then in the fall, we pick it up again and there's another ongo. And, uh, it's charged with practice. And, uh, and then in the winter months outside of December, because that's when all the holidays are, January and February, we really tuck in. And we get very, very quiet at the monastery, at least as quiet as we can. It's been very busy. <laughs> January and February, it's like usually it's, you know, we'd call people for Sushin's and say, hey, you want to come to Sushin? We don't have the people coming. And now there are, you know, 30 people on the wedding list. It's, in, it's crazy. It's crazy. Anyway, um, I digress. Uh, so, you know, when the, when the monks or the seniors uh, offer beginning instruction, um, either here or at the monastery, um, I'm not sure where others begin, but I often start with, with to enter this spiritual path uh, in the beginning, in the middle, perhaps in the end. Um, letting go is always at the center you know, I've been uh, doing this for 37 years now. I've been living at the monastery for 27 years. They still can't get rid of me. But it's like I've been, I've been working on the simple as- aspects of this practice forever. And they keep unfolding, keep unfolding. And they keep getting more and more subtle, you know. It's it more and more subtle. So when you think, when you think you have something down, look again. You know, because there's always, it keeps falling away, keeps falling away, keeps falling away, over and over and over again, endlessly. You know, in my experience, you know, it's the most challenging thing that we can do. So this talk is really about all of the methods, the teachings, the skillful means, you know, that, that Buddhist practice has to offer. You know, and all the ways of holding us while we are, are, you know, doing the challenging work of stilling the mind, you know, of gaining insight, of opening ourselves to what is is most authentic, to what's most true, you know. And we spend a lot of time dilly-dallying 
around that, you know. We entertain ourselves right out of this world, you know. We're entertaining ourselves to death. Uh, this is, is from the Pali Canon, the uh, Buddha's original words. The still mind, calm and collected, is the foundation for insight. The still mind observes phenomena as they arise and pass away, and from sustained observation and probing exploration arises the higher wisdom of insight into phenomena. As wisdom gathers momentum, it penetrates, not you, me, it penetrates more and more deeply into the nature of things. So we start with understanding that what's already happened can't ever happen again in the same way, despite how much we would like that to be, especially the stuff we like. Right? Why? Because we are never static, ever, ever. And our ideas are, but our ideas are just that. Our ideas about the future are just simply that. Ideas about what's to come or what should come or our fantasy about the way we would like the future to unfold. To maintain this habit mind, I call it, and try to sustain it to get what we want. To always get what we want. In either case, we are perpetuating the wasting of very precious moments. You know, Precious because here we are now. And what's to be or how much time we have left, we cannot know. We are all in this together. To be engaged with the way we things really are, reality or dharma. Getting as close to the moment as possible. However you might want to frame it, one has to be awake to what's right in front of them. And stay with that to one's best ability. You know, we're all so different. You know, our intention is so different. Whether we're sitting on a cushion or wrestling with the, you know, the fantasies or in the world wrestling with the expectation of things, not turning out as we would wish, to really engage this practice means being fully in the present as best as we are able. What's humanly possible, and after all, we're only human. You know, means we have to contend with what's keeping us from truly engaging moment to moment to moment. And what is that? What is that foe? What is that foe? It is the ego. Go, 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 go. The ego, man. The ego. I've been wrestling with this thing forever. You know, it loves to talk to itself about how we are doing, you know, constantly battered by judgment and self-absorption, you know. The essence of being awake are references to past and our hope for a future in which we will be completely clear starts to get dismantled with practice, you know. Starts to undercut these, these ideas that we have. We talk about the problem a lot, that the thoughts are not the enemy but our tendency to grasp and cling. Grasping, clinging, grasping, clinging has been the issue at hand from time immemorial, from the very beginning. 
And with that clinging, clinging comes storylines and the entertainment we use to keep us in that loop over and over and over and over again. Yeah. There is no way of alleviating our anxiety, you know, our despair, our discomfort, our disconnect, our alienation, our isolation, in the loop that keeps telling us that salvation will one day come. You know that old, um, there's a great song. What is that? <laughs> in the circle, be unbroken in the sky. Oh, there's a better place awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. We don't do that. <laughs> you know, I love that song, but we don't do that. We don't hear that because it's not. Daddy Dido, she used to say, all the way to heaven is heaven itself. All the way to heaven is heaven itself. That's this practice. You know, we, um, we tend to concretize our, our experiences, especially around trauma. And there are all kinds of efforts and ways of, of working with that. But uh, we tend to sometimes hold it in ways that, that we can't, we can't, that we can't see things more clearly when we're holding all of that, that trauma. So we keep this, this practice as simple as possible, you know. Um, in this practice, we begin with the breath. And one breath in is a beginning and one breath out is an ending. And in Zen, you could say that it's our way of seeing rebirth, you know, constantly being reborn with every breath. A constant being born and a constant dying with every breath. You know, and I don't care whether you're doing um, years of, of koan study or a hundred years of, of fancy practice or shikantaza, whatever you're doing. You're always going to come back to the breath. You're always going to come down, back to the heart of what keeps all this thing going. You know, It's kind of a nice way to get a handle on how to live and die with the breath and to be awake to the moment mindfully so, then you can take all of this a step further. If you can release the ego enough, right? What is it that actually arises? And what is it that ceases to be, huh? That's a good question, isn't it? What is it? Or is it that all of this is just a function or say a fabrication of the ego to draw these boundaries and to feel a little bit better, a little bit more comfortable? Our need for some kind of control, you know, to compartmentalize, feel safer. But we truly can't take off the blinders, as we say in Zen, or put down the backpack, all the stuff we carry around with us, you know, until so much of what separates us begins to settle. But only when we're ready to face the fear of what it means to relax the ego, you know, Adishanti uses a metaphor like, you know, the caterpillar and the butterfly. You know, that, that, you know, this is not rocket science. You know, what, what does a caterpillar know about being a butterfly? Well, the only way to know what it is to become a butterfly is to be one. Right? And it's not an idea of one. And we can have all kinds of ideas of what it's like to fly, but that transition can only take place when you're ready. An apple falls from the tree when it's ready. So in the meantime, we have 
all of these skillful means that we've developed in Buddhism, you know, we call it upaya, to help hold us and nurture us in while we are developing the grounding, the patience that we need to do this really hard work. It's really hard. Man. It's kind of, you got you to gotta kind of, it's like preparing the soil when you get ready to plant. It takes a lot of work to open to what might say would be gifts of a lifetime of practice such as ours. It's really hard to do this practice. It's like so many teachers are, you know, transmitted to. And you're hearing that they can't hold the precepts. They end up hurting people. You know, they end up doing damage to people and they're, they've been transmitted the Dharma. What the hell is that all about? You know, it's hard to do this practice. It's really hard. We're only human. You know, when bodhicitta arises, you know, that longing, knowing there is something more that what we see on the surface than what we see on the surface of things, the knowing inside that feeling. All of you are here. Most of you are here because of a feeling, you know, a sense. There's that a pull that one has to begin to claim as a catalyst to go deeper. Because it's really hard to sit there with your mind. It's a hard practice. Sit there hour after hour with your mind. It's very challenging. A longing to know who we actually are. To have peace means we have to release the anxiety of not knowing who we are. We have to learn. We want to be so authentic, yet how willing are we to do what needs to be done to be able to know an authentic life? You know, Shanti David talks about how we hate suffering, but we love its causes. You know, we hate suffering, but we love its causes. Not easy when what we have been uh, wants to, when what we have been taught is to ride the circle of samsara. In this circle, there are these glimpses or moments of happiness that we cling to and expect will continue only to find that that's not the case. It never gives us what it promises, but a whole lot of dissatisfactoriness. And ironically enough, you know, letting go is not something that we do inherently. It's not naturally what we're drawn to. You know, holding on is what we do. It's very scary to let go of all that we know. We say these things, <laughs> yet to do them. Are you kidding? You know? Even for a moment. And so we suffer. There are many ways to use a practice like ours in the world, you know, that, that make life uh, more sensible, that make life, uh, you can have a life and live a life with more ease, harmony. But when we say we want liberation, enlightened mind, that sounds good, but do we really? You know what you're getting yourself into when you're saying, I want, I want freedom, I want liberation. You better be careful about what you're asking for, you know, because it's a constant practice of letting go, of releasing all that we cling to, and we cling to everything. You, know? you want to be liberated? But to do that, one has to come to terms 
with how far one really wants to take this practice. And that's fine. You take it exactly how you want to take it and as far as you want to take it. And it can give you, you know, put in exactly what you want to take out. In a way, it's a very generous practice, very loving, that help in living in the world. But challenging is, challenging is all hell if you want real liberation. What Buddhism has to offer is a reminder of who we can be when we are at the best of ourselves, you know. To remember is like, is like taking refuge. To remember. The Buddha, someone who found and then walked this path so thoroughly, to rest in the Buddha's teachings and to be held by the Sangha, the people who practice together. Gifts being given us, you know, being given, the, the <laughs> gifts being given to us all the time to hold us in the challenge of walking this, this path. Being held in the wisdom of the three treasures, this can help hold us while doing the work. When the ground gets shaky under our feet, you know, and we think we really are not up for this, you know, we use the refuge of the three treasures to help guide and sustain us in our efforts. You know, the teachings of the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, all hold us, keep us going. In this practice, they should keep me going in this practice. This from the Pali Canon. Whatever perfectly enlightened Buddhas at present have fully awakened to things as they really are, all have fully awakened to the four noble truths as they really are. What for? We talk about this all the time because we need to talk about this all the time. They're at the very heart of this practice, you know. The noble truth of suffering, the noble truth of the origin of suffering, the noble truth of the cessation of suffering. Therefore, monks, an exertion should be made to understand this suffering, to understand this mind. Now, that's what we're doing. You know, an unexamined mind is one hell of a dangerous thing, as we can see from this present political situation. A lot of unexamined minds. An exertion should be made to understand this is the origin of suffering. An exertion should be made to understand this is the cessation of suffering. And an exertion should be made to understand this is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. Helping us understand what it is that can lead us to the cessation of suffering, the Noble Eightfold Path is offered. Right? Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. All very easy to say, but all a lifetime of study of how to really incorporate them into living this life. You know? The more appropriate translation for right, by the way, is, is, um, would be wholesome or wise or skillful, not, not right or wrong. Shugan Roshi, our abbot, um, during the last uh, Ongo, did mandos in the Eightfold Path, and he did them, you know, every week. And he kept saying, we will only just touch the surface of this in these mandos and studying them. They keep another thing that keeps, you know, unfolding. 
for more assistance that can help guide us, you know, in this, in this challenging path. We go to the paramitas, I want to known as the perfections. You know, I had a, a tattoo put on my arm, perfect paramitas, before I knew what the hell they were. And every time I look down, I go, oh, really? You had no idea what you were getting yourself into. You know? The heart of a virtuous life, and these need to be cultivated. Each one of these supports the others. So, dana paramita, giving. You know, generosity of spirit, really, a generosity of spirit. You want the best for the other, as much as you want it for yourself. Desire to benefit others without the expectation of reward. You know, and it gets subtle, you know. You know, are you really helping to really help someone? Are you, or is there something that you want? You know, it helps us move from isolation to a relational practice. Sila paramita, what is, what is a moral life and, and perspective that's outside of a set of rules, you know? But it helps to guide us in finding our own balance. You know, the perfection of patience, ksanti which literally means able to withstand. I love that translation. It's like, and the three dimensions within that are to be able to endure personal hardship, which is going to happen to every one of us sooner or later. If it's not happening to you right now, just wait. Patience with others and acceptance of truth. And I would add that patience, you know, is if you don't have patience, basically you have aggression. That's what patience means. Really taking up patience means, you know, we want what we want when we want it, if you don't have patience, you know. And then we become aggressive in all kinds of not-so-subtle and subtle ways. And to do this work takes energy. To move ourselves out of these habit patterns, it requires energy. Daddy used to say, you know, he used to, you know, he was in the Navy. He was our old abbot. He founded the monastery. Very fabulous, very difficult person. And he said that, he would say, this is a can-do, will-do, done kind of practice. Just get ready. Can-do, will-do, done. That's what he said. And it kind of has that, that spirit, you know. Cultivating the mind in meditation is so much more than concentration. It's a whole world within a world within a world within a world. And gaining wisdom as to the true nature of this life can help us turn toward realizing, really realizing that we need each other. We are not in this alone. The same thing is to happen to all of us. We have all arisen and we all perish. When there is no longer a subject-object, self and other, then who are you? When you're able to release some of that, then who are you? Sometimes when confused or feeling exhausted, we can turn toward liturgy that's offered, you know. Liturgy can be amazing. And a fusatsu ceremony we do during the angos. So every month we'll do a fusatsu ceremony and it's known as the renewal of vows. And whether you've taken Buddhist vows or not, everybody can do them. And um, to kind of remember, to reinstate what this is all about, it can uphold us. Because how many times have we broken these vows in a day? much less in a week, in a month, in a lifetime. <laughs> so so it's like all harmful karma ever created by me since of old, it's mine, right? All harmful karma ever created by me since of old, 
on account of my beginningless, of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance, born of my body, mouth, and thought, now I atone for it all. Now I am at one with it all, taking responsibility. You know, so hard to do. We love to point. It makes us feel better for a moment, you know, but just for a moment. But then since, you know, blaming, nothing can change when we blame, not a thing. So it only feels good for a minute, and then it feels really shitty. It feels really bad. You know? Now I atone for it all. I'm at one with it all. No victims here. You know, we, we take responsibility, you know, in this life. It's one's, it's your life. It's my life. How are we going to combust that? You know, and then in chanting the Heart Sutra, we, we chant it every day at the monastery. It's truly the heart of the practice in many Buddhist traditions. But when you really study and enter the Heart Sutra, and you know, what are we talking about here? You know? And I can, I find myself, you know, I do it every day. So it's like, Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva doing the Prajnaparamita clearly saw emptiness of all the five conditions as completely relieving misfortune and pain. Ojariputta form is no emptiness, emptiness, no other than form, form is exactly emptiness, emptiness is exactly form, sensation, concession, discrimination. I'm just talking. You know, where am I really when, when I'm really, really chanting the Heart Sutra? Are we really chanting it? And do we know what we're chanting? Form is exactly emptiness, emptiness is exactly form. Do we know what it is that we're taking up? No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. You know, what is that? What are we talking about? You know, the Shosamyo Kichi Jodorani, I mean, you go deep enough, the very sounds of compassion, you can translate it. No mo san manda motonan no harachi kotasha. It can be translated, but it's, when in our practice we use, it's the sound. How deeply can you go into that sound? It's the sound of compassion, you know. And how deeply can you resonate with that in your own life? And how can you release that mind and wanting to know what that means as opposed to how that feels? We keep wanting to take the elevator down, you know, from our head, that constant mental activity, and move it into the heart. This talk is dark to the mind and radiant to the heart. You know, dark to the mind, radiant to the heart. And this is just a, you know, this little talk is just a glimpse of all of the offerings given by this incredible practice to give us a path to walk, you know, to give us a way to go in all of this constant confusion and all of this constant dissatisfactoriness, you know, that we live in. It gives us a way out to see the light, turn the light around, to see the light, you know. May we all have happiness and the causes of happiness. May we all be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May we all experience joy and the true desire for the joy of others. And may we all live in equanimity, freeing ourselves from our own greed, our anger, and our ignorance. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Do you have physical challenges to visiting Zen Mountain Monastery or Fire Lotus Temple? 
The Diamond Net is a group of Mountains and Rivers Order students who are available to support your practice. We provide Dharma and other support to Sangha members facing life challenges such as illness or mobility issues. If you would like to visit the monastery or the Zen Center but need some physical help, someone from the Diamond Net can assist you. For information, email diamondnet at mro.org or visit our webpage at zmm.org and look under the Programs menu.